Welcome to another edition of the V-Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V-Auto, and today we're going to talk new vehicles, where the market's at, where it may be heading, and what dealers should be doing as they mind their new vehicle investments. For this conversation, I've asked Brian Finkelmeyer, Director of Business Development for V-Auto in the new vehicle side, to join us for the podcast. Brian, welcome. Lance, thanks for having me on. You bet. And ladies and gentlemen, we're recording this podcast um, right in the first full week of July. So, Brian, perhaps um, since June just ended, let, let's maybe just do a quick take on where things are in the new vehicle market, and then maybe we'll drill deeper into some specifics. Yeah. So, Lance, you know, I'm looking at the results, and so many of the car companies now have moved to more quarterly reporting. They've gotten away from the monthly re- reporting of sales. Mm-hmm. So when you look at these quarterly results that came out for Q2, they're pretty dismal. Many car makers were off anywhere from 20 to 30 percent, sort of an alarm uh, that, you know, obviously we're, we're working our way through the challenges of the pandemic. But what I think was particularly interesting is when you look at just pure retail and take the fleet volume out of the equation, just look at vehicles retailed through car dealerships. New cars were only off, uh, new car sales were only off 6% June of 2020 versus June of 2019, which I think when we take a, you know, consideration for all the headwinds that we're dealing with in the economy with 27 million people unemployed and all the other challenges that we're dealing with, I think many dealers would be pretty happy to say we're only off 6%. I think you're probably right. Now, you know, one of the things I I hear from dealers is, uh, man, I need cars. I need new car inventory. Where are we at with respect to dealers getting the inventory they need, which I guess requires factories to produce it? Yeah, so I think that's certainly going to be a headwind for us for the remainder of this year and probably into the early part of 2021. Um, I read an analysis just last week that North American production alone is going to be off about three and a half million units less production this year than a year ago. And, And so what that's already sort of led to is total inventory counts across the industry are off about a million cars from the pre-COVID levels. So dealers are clearly going to be operating a much lower day supply than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really going to spur the necessity for dealers to really optimize the allocations that they get. You know, one of the questions you asked there was just how is that going to work? And from what I've been talking to dealers and OEM friends alike, it sounds to me as though that the dealer that may be getting 100 units in their allocation only maybe 50 or 60 of those cars might actually be built. So th- that ties into a, a topic you wrote about recently um, about the margin of error in, in new cars. So, so dealers have fewer vehicles, which essentially amounts to fewer turns at bat, so to speak. Um, what do you recommend for dealers if, if there's a hundred allocation, they're only getting half of them, what should they be doing to maximize what they get? Yeah, so Lance, I think that, you know, the average dealer, if they're being perfectly honest, looking in the mirror, does not spend a ton of time analyzing each of those units that they're in their allocation. Often it's the case where we use a lot of gut instinct and probably more art than science as we make those ordering judgments on a monthly basis. But if there was ever a time to really lean into the data, to have a clear understanding of I need to be stocking 
those combinations that drive the bulk of our sales, that time is now. There was a great analysis done recently by J.D. Power where they identified that of all the millions of configurations of cars across the industry, only 12% of the vehicles represent 75% of the sales. So it's just critically important that dealers are paying close, close attention to if I'm only going to get 50 or 60 cars versus the 100 I used to get, I need to make darn sure that I'm ordering that those combinations that are going to drive sales quickly. And I, and I want to just add sort of a related comment to that, that every automaker has their own set of, you know, timing and cadence of how their allocations work and what their delivery lag times are. But one universal truth across the industry is that dealers earn cars on a turn and earn basis. And so it's just so important that dealers understand that those aged units that are hanging around are absolutely punishing your ability to earn more cars in that allocation so that maybe instead of getting 50 or 60 cars, maybe I can try to get 65 or 70 by running a lower day supply and turning my inventory faster. The factory is going to reward those dealers with the lowest dealer day supply. So you, so you just alluded to a point there, Brian, about paying attention to the aged units. Um, so I want to peel that back a little bit. On a day-to-day -day basis, how does managing those aged units translate to the things a dealer is doing in the store? Yeah, so the conventional way that we've managed new car inventory over the last, let's say, 100 years has largely been what I would say a reactive approach, which is we tend to manage those 10, ten oldest cars in stock, mm -hmm. and maybe we would drive those to the front of the showroom, or in today's case, we have to figure out how do we bring those cars to the front of our online showroom. But I think one of the key points we've been trying to make at V-Auto and working with our performance management team and dealers across the country is identifying distressed inventory on day one, not day 300. So if I understand that one of the combinations that just came off the carrier truck is a high day supply combination that's not moving very quickly in my market, it is, it's imperative that I take action on that car in the short term instead of waiting for that car to age, drive more holding costs. And in today's environment, it's going to hurt my ability to earn more of those hot products, those, that 12% of the mix that drives so much of our volume. How do I get eyes on that car, though? I mean, it, it, you're essentially talking about a vehicle that maybe doesn't have that much market appeal to start with. So what does a dealer do to make it more appealing? Well, I think, Lance, that's really where our V-Auto Conquest solution shines, is being able to give dealers this visibility on day one that this particular combination of a red Audi A4 that it's a 220 market day supply car, mm -hmm. and we haven't sold any of those in the last 45 days, I wanna be able to take action on that car immediately instead of the way that works today is we often don't take action until what I would say it's too late. So what are some of those actions that we can take? Well, we think of it through the lens of, you know, what, what levers can I pull? Yeah. Clearly price is one of the immediate levers that I can pull, but there's also some other important levers, levers like, making sure that my vehicle description is properly described on the internet, that I've got uh, the right photographs of both the interior and exterior and really leaning in on that merchandising piece because what we're seeing with our traffic across Cox Automotive is that online shopping has just skyrocketed. And those dealers that are doing the best and capturing, having the highest degree of what we call 
uh, shopper engagement with, with those VDPs are those dealers that are doing the best job of not only having the car priced correctly, but also having it merchandised correctly. I, and I guess there's a corollary there, too. If you know that that red Audi A4 is bad news uh, from a demand and interest perspective on day one, perhaps another action is don't order it again. Exactly. And, and you know, I can tell you some stories, Lance, from my days of working on the manufacturing side of how many times a dealer called me and said, hey, I never ordered this car. I never wanted this purple Pathfinder. How did this thing get dropped off? And I would go back into the system and look and just see that the dealer had never worked the order in the first place. There was just a lack of attention to detail. So, you know, going back to my earlier point, there was ever a moment in time for new car dealers to really start leaning in on that inventory management piece on their new car business. I think clearly that time is now. And you mentioned something there about, you know, the kind of the blocking and tackling of, of online merchandising. What do I, and we, we spoke about that kind of in the context of maybe this isn't the most desirable car. Let's flip the coin on that. What if it's something that you know is hot? What's the strategy or approach there? I mean, it seems like that might be a car people come to and, and you don't have to be as, you know, buttoned up uh, online. Yeah, so I think this actually poses a, a, a challenge and and I think that there's probably different ways that dealers could look at this. So let's take the Toyota Tacoma, for example, which is a, a light, you know, duty pickup truck mm -hmm. that is selling very quickly. And so I think through one perspective, you can say, that's a vehicle that I deserve to make a little more gross on. And I don't necessarily have to price myself at the bottom of the market. And I think there's some truth to that, that I don't necessarily have to be the lowest, you know, price dealer in my metropolitan area on, on Toyota Tacomas, because to your point, Lance, those things are going to sell themselves. Mm -hmm. But I also have to balance that by making sure that my dealer day supply on Tacomas is not higher than the market average, because Toyota is going to reward the dealers with the lowest day supply. So I think that's really sort of a balancing act of mm -hmm. trying to maximize your gross without restricting your ability to earn more of that hot inventory. I mean, because that's really the key is to keep those vehicles flowing. I don't want a situation where my day supply in Tacoma rises to 80 days if the market's at 30, because Toyota's gonna send all the Tacomas, the new Tacomas, to the dealers that are 30 and below. You know, that, that reminds me on the, the, the used car side, we see dealers um, you know, doing things like, okay, th this is a less appealing car if I need to sell it in X number of days. So that it's kind of like they, they manage the days in inventory or days to sell, or they keep an eye on it at least, as it relates to the retail appeal of a car. So if it's a high in demand car, they might give it some more time to room it to, you know, to marinate online and things. I, I'm wondering to what degree are we seeing that kind of thing take place uh, in new cars? Yeah, so I think, Lance, looking at the numbers last month, it is just amazing to see that 77% of the sales in the new car side of the business were SUVs and trucks. Mm -hmm. And so what I've heard anecdotally from some Ford dealers and Chevy dealers that used to stock five, 600 vehicles on their lot are now down to 250, 260. Yeah. Um, that they are looking for those opportunities to say, I don't necessarily have to blow out all my Ford F-150s right now because I, I know that it's 
tough getting replenished stock. And so I think that goes back to the point that I was making before of there is sort of an optimized opportunity of how do I optimize my growth without diminishing my ability to, to, you know, get the most I can from these factories that are under, you know, working under great constraints at this point. So is it fair to say from what you, in your conversations with dealers, Brian, that, um, the more, let's call it data astute dealers, the ones that are, you know, in, in the weeds, so to speak, with respect to specific model lines and combinations, that they, in their mind, they are tracking, they sort of know what their sweet spot is for dealership day supply as it relates to the combinations that are hot and those that are not? Yeah, you know, it is interesting that there's all these different sort of key pillars of success in the car business. So one of those pillars would be, I just built a beautiful new showroom and I spent $20 million and that's going to help give me a competitive advantage in the market Mm -hmm. because I've got an absolutely beautiful customer waiting lounge and all these great things that come along with that. One of the other, you know, frequent competitive advantages that dealers try to play is I just spend more money on advertising than my competition. And I I out um, shout them on the internet or on television or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Another um, thing that I've seen dealers do is to say, I'm just going to hire more salespeople. We're going to have the biggest army of salespeople. We've got the biggest BDC department. There's these different areas of the business where dealers try to find a competitive advantage. But, you know, one of the areas I've never really seen many dealers stick their chest out about is to say, I'm going to create my new car inventory. The richness of my mix and what I have available to sell is my competitive advantage. And I, I have not a few of those guys, but not many and those that are doing it don't talk about it that much, which probably is on purpose. I would think but so. But there is no doubt as we look at the, the, the pyramid of success in new cars, you know, there's a lot of energy and talk right now about is my digital retailing set up correctly and, you know, is my prices flowing right from V-Auto to my digital retail partner and all these different things that has captured so much of the industry's attention. But the fundamental baseline layer of all of that success is do I have the right cars? Because if I don't have the right merchandise, I don't think it really matters how frictionless my sales experience is because nobody's looking to buy from me anyway. So that really kind of ties back to the earlier point that I was making. Uh, New car inventory under great constraint at this point the smartest dealers that are out there that I've seen are ones that really do look at this inventory piece through the lens of how do I make this a competitive advantage? And I'm sh- going to have a heck of a lot more success attracting today's online shopper by stocking the vast majority of those 12% that drive 70% of the sales volume. Uh, laser focused on that issue, I think, would be a, certainly a smart thing for people to do. Good point. Brian, maybe a last uh, little section for us to talk about here. Um, as I mentioned at the outset, we're in the first full week of July. We're halfway through the year. And, and I guess I'm curious, what are you hearing in terms of what the next half of the year is going to look like as it relates to retail demand for new cars? Yeah, so I think, Lance, that's a really good question. And, you know, I don't have a, a crystal ball. But I think most of the analysts are suggesting that we're probably plateaued a bit around the 13 million unit SAR, give or take. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as we talked about, there's going to be 2 million less fleet sales done in the United States this year. 
So when we think about, you know, our SAR used to be 17 million and now we're 13 million. Well, 2 million of that for sure is just, is just fleet volume that's gone away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, clearly the new car business, I think is going to be decent. It's not going to be, you know, setting records, but, you know, as we work our way through this pandemic, um, you know, 13 million can certainly sell enough cars to keep the lights on at our, at our stores across the country. And I think one of the other key things we need to keep an eye on is, as you know, this government assistance ends at the end of July and sort of what the implications are of that on roughly 30 million Americans that are unemployed. You know, at what point does that begin to pose a bigger drag on our economy? I think there's a lot of question marks in the second half. But as we sit here today, you know, as we can continue to hopefully operate under sort of the conditions we've seen in May and June, I think dealers are going to be able to hang in there. And I guess one last point that I would make is I've heard anecdotally that uh, dealer financial statements in May look absolutely fantastic. The dealers have made a ton of money. So it's a, just a really encouraging sign that amidst all the headwinds that we're facing, dealers are still selling a reasonable amount of new and used cars and making, in some cases, more money than they did a year ago. And for what I understand, Brian, some of that uh, additional profitability comes despite, uh, I mean, in used cars, I think people were setting records, but but in the new car side, the profitability is there despite maybe selling fewer cars, which owes to expense reductions and other efficiency gains that dealers, um, sounds like they should make sure they continue moving forward. Yeah, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. I think that's an old punchline of politics. And hopefully the car dealers are going to learn that they maybe don't need to spend $100,000 a month in advertising. Maybe we don't need 25 people in our sales department. Um, as you, you said it correctly, um, finding these ways to be more efficient because every one of those expense dollars that I don't spend is a dollar that just drops right to the bottom line. And I think we're seeing that um, some of the spending that we had in the past perhaps is wasteful and unnecessary. And to your point, maybe that will be one of the positive legacies of the COVID is that the car business is going to learn how to operate more efficiently. It's a good spot to end. Brian, thank you very much for taking time to share your insights about the new car side of our business. Lance, always a pleasure to come on and talk about the car business with you. We appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you joining the podcast this time. Thank you so much for dialing in. I'm Lance Helgeson, and until next time, stay well.